1: Today, once again, we are looking at the need for incorporating this sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer into our daily prayer life. Lead us not into temptation, and deliver us from evil. Is that a part of your daily prayer? Should be. I'll tell you why next on Abounding Grace. Ours is a humanity that is frail, and we are indeed prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. As the hymn writer well put, we are weak. And that is precisely why this sixth petition found here in the Lord's Prayer is so vital to our daily prayer life. Welcome to Abounding Grace from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, returns us to the Lord's Prayer found here in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. And today we'll be focusing on this sixth petition, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. We'll also spend a bit of time in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 10. Catch up with us, won't you? And join us for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace... Here's Pastor Gary Wagner.
2: We've already spent two Sundays on lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we're going to spend at least two more Sundays on this petition. And it's because of what it says about the nature of the Christian life. As we learned more about what we are praying in the sixth petition, we learn more about Christian life itself. When we pray, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil, we are not simply praying, Lord, save me from being tempted. So much, although that is certainly involved. This petition is far more profound a request than most people normally think. We began actually a couple of weeks ago looking at what is entailed and asking God, "...to not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil." And we have seen that there are basically four requests we're asking from God when we pray this petition. First, we are asking God to keep us from being tempted. Then we are praying that God would keep us and support us when we are being tempted. Then we are praying that when we give into temptation... God will recover us, that he will rescue us and help us learn from that temptation. And then when we are also praying that our salvation and our sanctification as Christians would be perfected, and that a time will come when we would no longer have to ask God for forgiveness, no longer have to ask him to lead us from temptation, no longer have to ask him to deliver us from evil. But of course, that won't fully happen until after death and we're safe in heaven. Now, does God keep, how does God keep us from being tempted? Well, our Catechism question 195, which is the basis for all of my sermons on the Lord's Prayer, tells us that he does so in several ways. It tells us, first of all, that God overrules the world to keep us from being tempted in ways we cannot stand and resist. And he overturns all of the intentions of Satan in this world to keep us from being destroyed by wickedness. Satan wanted to show God that Job was a hypocrite. God let Satan have his way with Job, but it was God's purposes and God's intentions that overruled Satan's. Jesus said to Peter in Luke 22, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, the Lord said, that your faith may not fail. I believe that what Jesus is telling Peter here is that Satan wanted you to betray me, Peter, not Judas. But I prayed for you, and it was my prayer that overruled Satan's intentions for you, so that your faith would not fail. And you see, if God cannot overrule the world in Satan, then he cannot keep us from temptation. Well, God also keeps us from temptation by subduing the flesh. He holds it in check. Remember, the word flesh means that remnant of the old sinful nature that once dominated us before we were Christians, that we still have to struggle with all the days of our lives. Only God can hold it in check. Only God can finally destroy indwelling sin. Remember how Paul ends his discussion of the struggle between our new lives in Christ and that old sin that remains in us. He said, who shall set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he also said, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. A true Christian hates his own sinfulness, he hates himself for sinning. He loves God. He loves the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves the law of God, but he still has to struggle with sin in his life. So there is going to be far more occasions than he wants to admit when he will be tempted, and many of them he will give into. He doesn't always want he, he doesn't always do what he, what he really down in the center of his being wants to do, and yet at the same time he finds himself doing things he really doesn't want to do because of this indwelling sin. So what does the true Christian do? He rejoices. He doesn't beat himself up in despair. He rejoices that there is victory over that indwelling sin within through the Lord Jesus Christ, the only person who can subdue and overcome and keep in check the desires of his heart. And the Lord, of course, does it through the work of the Holy Spirit. We see this attitude in David. In Psalm 51, where David is praying, asking God for forgiveness from his sin with Bathsheba, he offers up this prayer. "'Create in me a clean heart, O God.' And renew a steadfast spirit within me. David is saying, I not only want forgiveness, Lord, I want to be strengthened so that when I face temptations like this again, I won't cave in. I want a clean heart that is, affections and motives that are free from sin's pollution. Oh, God, you must create this new heart within me. I cannot do it myself. I want a steadfast spirit within me. I want a firm, stable, unwavering spirit that is free from fickleness and cowardliness. I want you to renew a steadfast spirit within me, Lord. The word renew actually implies it was previously David's possession, but it was interrupted by the sin that was in his life. Lord, I want you to overrule that interruption and give me what I had before in even a greater degree. Create within me a clean heart and a fixedness of purpose. A fixedness of purpose. I lost that when I caved in to Bathsheba. Lord, I need to be more stable and more single-minded and have a fixedness of purpose so that I won't be such a foolish and easy prey for Satan in the days to come. And then in Psalm 119, 133, David again prays a similar way. Now, most of the passages that I'm giving you today are taken actually right out of the footnotes Of the Westminster Larger Catechism on the sixth petition, showing you that this petition, that this, uh, uh, the Westminster Confession, question 195 is taken right from Scripture. And in Psalm 119, verse 133, David prays, Establish my footsteps in thy word, and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. So what is David praying? He's praying, Lead me not into temptation. But deliver me from evil. I not only want you to forgive me, Lord, but I want you to cause me to walk firmly in the path of your law, and I want you to subdue within me the remaining power of corruption so that it won't oppress me and get me into trouble again. In other words, he is praying for two things Lord, conform me to your words that I want to obey you. That's my chief desire, Lord. And give me the power to withstand every temptation that Satan puts into my path or that arises from the sin that remains within me. He goes on and says, establish my footsteps in your word and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. Beloved, try praying that 40 days and 40 nights. Mean it and pray it and see how God uses it in your life. Pray the Psalms also regularly, because if God cannot subdue your flesh, no one can, not even yourself. Also, God keeps us from being overpowered by temptation, by restraining Satan in our lives. And again, if God cannot restrain Satan, there is no use in praying the sixth petition. God restrains Satan in Paul's life. Beloved, Satan is a real threat to us, particularly if we're not staying close to the Lord. He is a real person. He's no rival to the Lord Jesus Christ, but he is there all the time trying to destroy us. So take him seriously. Satan tried to throw a monkey wrench into Paul's life. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 and 8, we read, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to buffet me. Now, some people say it was a terrible eye disease that made his eyes runny and red all the time and That may be why he said in one of his epistles, I'm signing my name in large letters that you know it's from me. Possibly someone else pinned that letter because of his poor eyesight. Satan was trying to slow Paul down by making his life miserable. But Paul said it had the opposite effect. He says that God was able to restrain Satan and whatever Satan's purpose was, God used this terrible malady, Paul said, to keep me humble and to keep me from exalting myself because I saw things that no other human being had ever seen. I was ushered into the third heaven, into the presence of God and God told me things to write down that were just overwhelming. And therefore to keep me humble. He used Satan to give me this painful physical malady. And he wouldn't heal me from it. So here you see God restraining Satan. And accomplishing his purposes in Paul's life regardless of Satan's plans. We see it in many people's life where Satan causes things to happen that would normally bring down an ordinary man. But God uses those things and overturns Satan's purposes and causes his own purposes to take place through them. One of the greatest Christian scholars in the past several hundred years taught at Princeton University and Seminary in the last part of the 1800s in the first two decades of the 20th century. His name was Benjamin B. Warfield. Very few people in the history of the Christian church can hold a candle to him in his power, his understanding of Scripture, and his defense of the faith. And people are still buying and reading his books and being influenced by him today. Well, Warfield got married as a young man. He loved his wife very much. But she came, became quite ill, and she de- degenerated into an invalid. Warfield personally took care of her all the rest of his life. Did it slow him down? R.L. Dabney, one of the greatest theologians produced in North America, was totally blind the last ten years of his life. Did it slow him down? Not One bit. Satan can do things in your life to try and take you out of the battle, to try and distract you, to try and depress you, to try you and slow you down. But understand that a sovereign God holds on to him. God restrains Satan, and no matter what Satan's purposes are in our lives, God uses Satan's plans to accomplish his own. Now, how does God restrain Satan in the lives of believers? The Bible has a lot to say about this. For instance, by God's sovereign will and almighty power, Satan cannot resist, frustrate, or overturn anything that God has planned for you. No matter how strong Satan may be, no matter what his intentions are, God has ordained everything that comes to pass, and He is such a sovereign and Almighty God that Satan cannot even begin to frustrate and overturn anything that, has, that God has planned for your life. Romans eight twenty eight does not say, therefore we know God causes most things to work together for good. God causes the good and happy things to work together for your good. No, God causes all things, that sickness you may have, that contrary wife or husband, that crisis you are facing in your life, that disobedient child, to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Beloved, Satan is no threat to God or his plans at all. And if you stay close to the Lord... He's no threat to you either. He cannot keep God from accomplishing anything God wants to accomplish in your life and mine. Also, Jesus triumphed over Satan on the cross 2,000 years ago. And in so doing, greatly curtailed Satan's power in your life today. In Hebrews two fourteen and 15, I want you to listen, but I'm going to First, misread it so that you can actually get the power of this passage. And let me tell you, if you have this translation, you need to burn your Bible. Since then, try to listen carefully. Since then, the children share in flesh and blood. He himself also partook of the same that through his second coming he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Now, I know it was hard, but did you catch it? Beloved, he doesn't say anything about the second coming, yet that is what many people believe. Because they have more faith in the devil's power than they do in God's. They believe we're going to be a helpless, oppressed people of Satan's tyranny and energy in this life until Jesus comes again. But this passage tells us that on the cross 2,000 years ago, by his own death, Jesus rendered powerless the devil who who had the power over death and who could keep people in slavery to the fear of death all their lives. But he's powerless today. Oh, he goes around thinking, thinking, he's a sovereign lion, acting like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But he cannot snatch us out of Christ's hands. He cannot pull us away from him. He cannot thwart or stop the advance of the kingdom of God or the spread of the gospel. He cannot stop the growth and the security we have in the Lord Jesus Christ as believers. He has no power whatsoever to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it is by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ that we, there is this additional restraint. It's not only God's sovereignty and omnipotence that restrains Satan. Because Satan hasn't either. But it is also the effects of the death of Christ crushing the serpent's head and rendering him powerless as far as being a force that is capable of snatching us who belong to Christ and are living for him away from him. So the point is, and it's a very practical one, if you're going to experience victory over sin and temptation in your life and over Satan, all of that is impossible without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are all helpless alone. Expect nothing but further oppression, further defeat, further dehumanization in your life, further despair if you do not have faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because apart from Him, there is absolutely no way to break free and to restrain the power of Satan in your life who is trying to destroy you. This enslaving work of Satan is broken in all of those for whom Christ died. We're set free from bondage to his tyranny. In 1 John chapter 3 verse 8 it says, The one who practices evil habitually is of the devil. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil in your life so that you can testify in the words of John 4.4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome him, because greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. Jesus cast out many demons during his walk on earth, and on one occasion when he cast the demons out of a possessed man, the Pharisees came to him and said, Jesus, the only reason that you can cast out demons is because you're in league with the devil. You are in cahoots with Satan, and that's the only reason you can do it. So in Matthew 12, 26 and 27, Jesus gives the Pharisees an irrefutable answer, as if to say, that is really stupid, guys. He said, And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? And then he goes on and explains what his ability to cast out demons means for the everyday life of his disciples. He said this in the 12th chapter of Matthew, verses 28 and 29. But if you cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? He's saying to you and me, I came to earth 2,000 years ago because there was a strong man that was holding you captive and keeping you from being the person God created you to be, to live in freedom and obedience and love before God's face. I've come to earth to set you free. I've come to recreate you into my image and to make you that person God wants you to be. And in order to do that... I have got to tie up the strong man that's been holding you captive, deliver you from his tyranny, and make you a new person in my image. And of course, that strong man is Satan himself. So he's saying, very simple, that he came to bind the strong man, restraining him from his overpowering influence on us who are believers in Christ. And as far as our lives are concerned, the strong man Satan, whose power is greater than any of us individually, is restrained from even overpowering any of us by God's grace and pulling us back into his domain again. Scottish pastor John Brown from the 17th century said this, speaking of Satan, "...the lion of hell is a chained lion." a muzzled lion to the Christian. He may alarm, but he has been conquered by the Lord.
1: Eight eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And Then, of course, you can write to us at P M B. That stands for Post Mailbox number four zero two, fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two.